Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss an amusement park closed due to danger to health, a debate about letting pregnant women buy medical marijuana, and a new sleep research study. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 132 for the week of April 11th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. And before we get started, our diagnosis code for this week is M84.30XA or stress fracture, unspecified site, initial encounter of fracture. Mm. Unspecified site. So yep, where no the heck idea. is it? Somewhere. Some, something was fractured stressfully. An initial encounter for fracture. Does that mean that this is my first ever fracture? Or the first ever fracture in the unspecified site? Encountered. Hmm. I'm guessing oh, it's. The I'm first getting ever. stressed out thinking about this though. So I Whoa. guess you got that part right. <laughs> hey, got it. Wow. Amazing. Anyways, <laughs> first up, what we have is amusement park not so amusing. Inspectors were back at the Florida Free Fall Thrill Ride at Icon Park last week, testing it yet again, folks. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed said her department hired a forensic engineering and analysis firm to assist with the department's investigation to get to the bottom of exactly how 14-year-old Tyree Sampson fell to his death from the ride a week and a half ago. Freed's office released pages of state statutes and the permitting and inspection requirements for rides in Florida. The list includes testing, signage, and training, all of which the investigation is expected to scrutinize. The Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services also released the official stop operation order, which became effective March 25th, the day after Tyree Sampson fell to his death. The stop order said that free fall ride is considered an immediate serious danger to public health, safety, and welfare and may not be operated for patron use until it is passed a subsequent inspection. I mean, I probably wouldn't ride it even then. <laughs> like, probably not. Yeah. I mean... I feel like this is something that always happens. Unfortunately, like every three years or so, it feels like with like right. some sort of an amusement park, there's always some sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, issue that could arise like the, like some sort of bad situation where it puts people's health at risk. And right. in this case, someone died, which is not good. Of course. Um, I didn't know that the Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services was the people that did all the inspections, though, for safety on amusement parks. So right, that's you something wouldn't to think take that. away. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know that there was agriculture involved in amusement rides. Yeah, I would. Maybe it came from like the days when rides were like set up by like the fair, and they were like set up outside. Uh, maybe. No, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's when. Uh, A little trivia. Kind of weird. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, Something happens. Tyree Sampson, rest in peace. Uh, yes. Sad story. It is. But yeah, I guess we'll follow this. I guess we'll follow this. I feel like Orlando Freefall might be in some hot water considering this is the second time that something bad's happened. Is that what is I read right? Is it? I, read I don't know. Again, testing it yet again. So maybe there was a test that they failed previously. I don't know. That's just speculation. Yeah. Either way, those rides are dangerous sometimes. And I mean, I'm a huge roller coaster guy. I love roller coasters. And, True. You know, I am too. But I, yeah, 
you want those to be tested correctly and you want to make sure that you're like maintaining from what i had read orig like originally um he was a uh maybe like bigger guy and shouldn't have been on the ride like one of those things where the seat didn't couldn't close all the way or something and then mm -hmm. he, he had been like turned away from a couple other rides earlier but this ride operator was just like sure go ahead and i was like uh-oh so yeah, who knows yeah i don't know i that was one when i initially read an article a couple weeks ago when it first happened um looks like he was a football player so that's yeah big dude big dude Medical marijuana for the pregnant. Medical marijuana hasn't been sold legally in Alabama yet, but the idea is opening up new debates. The latest deals with pregnant women using the drug, a bill that would require all women aged 13 to 50 to provide proof of a negative pregnancy test to obtain medical marijuana passed a state Senate committee last week. It will now go to the full Senate. The proposed bill would also ban breastfeeding women from obtaining medical marijuana. Uh, a bill that would require all women ages 13 to 50 to provide proof of a negative pregnancy test to obtain medical marijuana. Yeah. Um, I mean, do we require them to show a negative pregnancy test before they buy cigarettes or beer? That's true. That's a, that's a valid point. Like, I was going to say. Don't understand. I mean, that's a very good point. I don't know what else to say about this because. that It just seems like it's targeting marijuana as being somehow like way worse than like cigarettes. alcohol or cigarettes which have clear like and all they have is warnings on them you can yeah provable health risks for pregnant people mm -hmm. but i don't Very see the point there's ever been a you have to provide proof of a negative pregnancy test that's just yeah yeah interesting stuff i don't not really sure um yeah i don't know also ban breastfeeding women from obtaining a medical marijuana card how would you know that a woman is breastfeeding actively? Right. Yeah, that's weird. Would you interesting, just interesting goodbye? law. Sometimes yeah. they just gotta, you know, sometimes the government has to just test the waters with new things, I guess. I don't know how else yeah, to say it. It sounds uh, very Alabama, but I, I don't know if I want to say that. No offense, to anybody living in Alabama, but this sounds like an Alabama law. Anyways, next up, sleep in complete darkness. Many Americans sleep in a room that's punctuated with some form of artificial light, whether it's coming from a TV, a jumble of electronics, or an intrusive street light. New research suggests that one night of sleep with just a moderate amount of light may have adverse effects on cardiovascular and metabolic health. The small 20-person study conducted by Dr. Phyllis Z and her team at Northwestern was designed to measure physiological effects of 100 lux of artificial light on healthy adults while they were sleeping. The changes in cardiovascular function suggest the small amount of light was enough to shift the nervous system to a more activated and alert state. The findings know. make sense because the autonomic nervous system has a robust daily rhythm. Interesting. We're talking about circadian rhythm here, folks. Whoa. Right. Whoa. Um, so small study, so I guess you can't, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt because it's only 20 people. Right. The um, source is alaskapublic.org, so. That's true. Alaska. Alaska. This is just like the last story was very Alabama. This story is very Alaska. Right. Because they don't have, the sun doesn't go down there sometimes. <laughs> that's true. But I think. The biggest takeaway here is if this study goes on a large scale and it becomes truthful, 
and it, it has proof associated with it. A lot of people are in trouble. Now, how much does this actually affect your cardiovascular function? Eh, I mean, you probably wake up in the middle of the night and are alerted by a TV. Right. Your nervous system is more activated, but I don't know. Yeah. So interesting sleep in complete darkness. That's not going to happen because everyone knows there's demons in our closets. Right. Come on, folks. Monsters on. under the bed. It's real. It's a real thing. It Have is. You watched or read any Stephen King movie or novel? It's real. Right. Or Monsters Incorporated. Come on. Yeah, Monsters Incorporated. There's a whole documentary. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real world documentary. Yeah, be, yeah, exactly. And with that, let's go into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. Albert, oh my goodness, what do we have tonight? Woo! Today? Patching up medical device security. U.S. Senators Bill Cassidy and Tammy Baldwin introduced the Protecting and Transforming Cyber Healthcare Act, or Patch Act, with the intention of ensuring medical device security at the pre-market stage. Researchers have discovered numerous medical device security vulnerabilities in recent years that point to a need for industry standards and regulations. Many medical devices operate on legacy systems, making them difficult to patch and easy for hackers to manipulate. The Patch Act would enable the implementation of critical cybersecurity requirements for medical device manufacturers applying for pre-market approval through the FDA. The Act would also require manufacturers to design, develop, and maintain updates and patches throughout the life cycle of their devices. If passed, the Patch Act would expand on medical device manufacturing regulations and could help mitigate medical device security risks. In other news, Senators Cassidy and Jackie Rosen also recently introduced the Healthcare Cybersecurity Act, which aims to strengthen healthcare cybersecurity by partnering HHS with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Um, so a couple different bills coming through Congress talking about bills. cybersecurity, which is good. It should be on everyone's bills. minds. We got bills. I'm just a bill. I'm only a bill. Yes. Sitting here on Capitol Hill with my mm -hmm. cybersecurity and my patches right. up to date. Interesting. So they seem to be bipartisan too. I, but I, I don't know actually. I don't know if Bill Cassidy and Tammy Baldwin are on in separate parties or what. But yeah, I don't know. This is something it feels like everyone can kind of get behind. Like everyone wants mm -hmm. to secure their. I don't know. It's medical cybersecurity. Like secure, right? Exactly. Everyone they, wants to make sure that they're. I mean, medical devices that yep. you know have potentially vulnerabilities. Let's say a pacemaker. I mean, there have been attacks on pacemakers. There's been attacks on MRI machines. There's been attacks on all sorts of stuff. And everything's smart, Internet of Things. You know, throw out some buzzwords there. And uh, all that stuff could be hacked. And in order for it to not be hacked, there needs to be some sort of law enacted because otherwise corporations tend to take shortcuts to make money. And they can't do that in healthcare. That's kind of probably the idea behind this law. Let's talk about solar winds again. Solar winds related ruling, to be specific. A Texas judge has dismissed claims that former solar wind CEO. Kevin Thompson was personally liable for deceiving investors about the company's cybersecurity. He will allow a class action lawsuit filed against the company, its executive, 
and investors in the wake of the 2020 Orion breach to proceed. Shareholders argue that executives like Chief Information Security Officer Tim Brown knowingly misled investors in public statements about the company's cybersecurity resilience. They also argue that the private equity owners, Tom Bravo and Silver Lake Partners, pushed to not invest in cybersecurity operations at the company as part of their overall business strategy to keep costs low and eventually sell the company at a profit. The judge, Robert Pittman, ruled that the suits against SolarWinds, Brown, Bravo, and Silver Lake Technology Management may move forward. On Brown, who was the vice president of security architecture at SolarWinds and was promoted to chief information security officer, the court ruled that both his position overseeing cybersecurity at the company and his public statements in media interviews that endorsed SolarWinds cybersecurity posture made him and SolarWinds liable. So speaking of, what about, what a, talk about a segue. We talked about, I mentioned how corporations take shortcuts in the name of making money. And yep. here we have a description about solar winds that led to a lawsuit because they cut shortcuts in cybersecurity to make a profit for selling yep. the company. Yep. Hello. Come on, people. Bing, bing, bing. Get with it. Looks like uh, uh, solar winds is, you know, this is still going. I mean, this is like a huge. Yeah, we've talked thing. about this before. It's probably going to happen and be in conversation for the next five years. Right. And that's not what you want. So brush up on your cybersecurity, so people. patch. Right. Patch it up. Patch it up. Uh, wins happen because of password management, poor password management. Yeah. They had an account that had access to pretty much everything, and its password was SolarWinds123, all lowercase. Oh, my gosh. And that's so At easy. At least put a capitalization. Right. Oh, my stage. goodness, people. But, uh, you know. All right. All right. Last up, we have hop, skip, jump lawsuit. Research from XM Cyber found that attackers can compromise 94% of critical assets within four steps of the initial breach point. The company's first annual survey also reported that attackers can compromise 75% of an organization's critical assets in the company's existing security status, and 73% of the top attack techniques involve mismanaged or stolen credentials. By knowing where to disrupt attack paths, companies can reduce 80% of issues that would otherwise have taken up security resources. For attacks to be an effective threat, actors need to compromise the data through network access. If corporations have adequate protection from both defensive and preventative tools, such as anti-data exfiltration products, then attackers will not gain a foothold onto the device. Um, hmm. Yeah, so... This basically confirms that attackers can compromise organizations easily. Yeah, and quickly once they're in. Yes, which checks out. Yep. Once you get the access point, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You get access to the entire organization. That's kind of the, the point there. Um, I guess, you know, the big takeaway is there's a four-step reach point so this is also kind of like it seems very buzzword filled it does yeah um, exfiltration is a is a cool word that was fun to say yeah, yeah nice. exfiltration not infiltration right In shout out word of the day <laughs> exfiltration right sweet. uh deals with uh you know cybersecurity. it seems like Ooh, in this story, there's a company called Black Fog. Shout out to Black Fog. Cool name. Like that. 
But yeah, um, hackers, once they're in their system, they're going to take your assets and have access to your assets. So there you go. Interesting. And that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.